again, good morning. If this is your first time, my name is Mark. I'm one of the elders here. It's a privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. Uh, we are working our way through the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And if there's anything that Americans have in their cultural DNA, it would be our love for freedom, right? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, we, we love movies about freedom. We love, we love those that defend our freedom. We love our history of freedom. And, and so uh, freedom and, and things about freedom get us fired up. Uh, I remember 1997, I was an uh, intern uh, in Okinawa at Camp Hansen Marine Camp, and I, I got to go with some of my Marine friends to uh, the base theater, and uh, we were, we were going to go in there, and we were going to watch, of all movies, Independence Day, okay? So not really Independence for America, but the whole world. So we were really fired up about that, and so we fill into the base theater. It's, it's packed with Marines, young Marines. Marines, they're all called grunts at that point. Uh, That just means they kill people. Uh, That's what they train to do. And so um, full of Marines and um, we're we're talking, we're eating our popcorn and and stuff like that. And all of a sudden a note plays in the theater and everyone shuts up and everyone puts their popcorn down, puts their their Pepsis down and they all stand up and I'm like, what is going on? And, And they stand up and they stand at attention and on the screen, the national anthem begins to play, uh, and a, a video with it called Shock and Awe, imagine that, uh, with the American flag kind of waving in the background, and, and then just pictures as the national anthem is playing of, of tanks and bombs and F-22s and rockets and guns and fighters, and you're just standing there with the national anthem playing, surrounded by Marines, at attention, and they're just focused on that, and then all of a sudden, when it, when it ends, uh, they all shout, hoorah, and and they are, they are pumped. I mean, the energy in that room in that moment, I mean, we were psyched. And then the Independence Day, I mean, I don't know of a greater move, movie that we could have saw in that moment. Maybe Mel Gibson's The Patriot. Maybe, maybe that would have been, been it. But other than that, like there was just this collective energy in the room and, and watching the movie, coming out of the movie, we're, we're all talking about that. And you just love that moment. I mean, I think half of them went and got another workout in for the day because they just wanted to be prepared. I did not, but uh, they were, it was, it was, it was amazing. We, it was, you had to be there, <laughs> but we, we love, we love freedom. We love our, our history of freedom. We, we love all those things, uh, but what, what was uh, deemed as freedom in 1776 in modernity has shifted in uh, 2018 to post-modernity, and freedom has, has, has moved from a general concept for a people, though, though in some sense we hold, still hold on to that, to more of an individualized idea of what freedom is. And so uh, it's become more autonomous. And, and so uh, anything that threatens our freedom, whether it be another nation or, or or just thoughts or ideas or, or religion or specifically Christianity can be seen as a threat to our freedom. So a few years ago, I read a book uh, by A.J. Jacobs. A.J. Jacobs is a New York Times uh, journalist, and he wrote this book. He, he calls it The Year of Living Biblically, One Man's Humble Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible. 
Now, now Jacob's is not a Christian. This is not a Christian book. Uh, he's, a, he's a funny writer. He's a witty writer. And uh, I, I enjoyed the book. But Jacob's is a, a New York City agnostic with, with a little bit of Jewish roots. He says, I'm Jewish in the same way Olive Garden is an Italian restaurant, which is to say not very. Uh, uh, but nonetheless, he, he decided he was going to take the year, and, and he kind of puts himself through these experiments in his books. And for this one, he was going to take the year, and he was going to uh, try to apply this as literally a, as possible. And so he took the first month uh, just to read through the whole Bible and write down every command of God. And, and as, he, as he wrote it down, then he said, the first three quarters of the year, because of proportionally, uh, he's going to give himself to the Old Testament. And, or or the Hebrew scriptures. And then in the last quarter, he would go into the New Testament. And again, his goal was to apply it, everything as, as literally as possible. Uh, he broke the first commandment. He did not love the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but, but as he was trying to apply, he, he was applying the law like we talked about here. And so he would, he would try the, the big ones. And, and like he said, uh, I try not to lie or cover or, or steal for a year. And he says, uh, I'm, a, I'm a journalist in New York. That was really hard. <laughs> and, uh, but nonetheless, he, he did that. He also tried to apply the, 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 the lesser known laws the more obscure ones. And so for a year, he tried to never wear clothes with mixed fibers, because that's in the law. Uh, he, he read that he couldn't trim his beard, and so uh, he didn't, and he looked like a member of ZZ Top by the end of the year, just this, this amazing beard. Um, he, he uh, in, in more socially awkward ways, he, he tried to avoid shaking hands with any woman that he thought maybe was ceremonially unclean. And so... You can read your Bible to see what that means. But, uh, so he wouldn't touch anyone. And uh, in light of Matthew's sermon last week, he, he would, uh, w- without people trying to let them know, he would t- throw tiny little pebbles to stone adulterers. That's what he was doing. He was trying to apply the law. So he'd throw a pebble at you if he thought you were an adulterer. Uh, I mean, the whole thing, and he's a, he's a funny writer. I mean, it's a good, and, and, and in some sense, I appreciate just a, a different view uh, on this. But, but it, it speaks to this assumption that, that basically uh, to try to live under God's rule and reign is, is not only impossible, as we saw in the catechism today, but ridiculous. But like, like God, is, God is not for your freedom. He's, he, he's really just a killjoy. He, Christianity is a straitjacket, and, and no one could actually try to, to, to live like that. And so we've, we've, in a culture by and large, has, has rejected that in this move towards what I would call the idol of the autonomous self. That, that, that you decide your own path. You decide your own way. In fact, this kind of got ingrained even more so in our cultural DNA in 1992 with the Supreme Court decision. Justice Kennedy, of all people, said this about um, liberty. He said, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of universe, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. So it's all on you. And by and large, our culture has taken that and run with that. And so we have, we have, a, 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 we have a vocabulary with that. We, we, we'll say things like, well, you do you, man. YOLO. You only live once. 
Find your own way. Create your own meaning. And it sounds kind of good. That sounds really liberating. But in the end, it ends up enslaving us. Because you and I were not made to create our own meaning. And all of our pursuits to find meaning and purpose end up enslaving us. And we all have something, right? Like that 1970s movie, the first one, Rocky, before, like, before Rocky 18, I don't know what they're on now, but the first one, and Adrian is asking Rocky, like, why are you, why are you gonna fight this guy? Why are you gonna fight the champ? He says, I just wanna make it 15 rounds with the champ. He says, why? He says, if I can make it 15 rounds with the champ, I know I'm not a chump. So, so he, th- that's what he does, <laughs> you know, the movie. But, but, but we all have something. We all have 15 rounds. There's, there's, all, there's something that we've put on our plate or we've breathed in the air of our culture and said, there's meaning, there's significance, there's, there, there's what will, will mean I'm not a chump. And, and whatever it is, See, see, Christianity, Jesus is going to agree what freedom feels like in our passage. Freedom feels like feeling uh, feeling fully alive and doing the thing that you were created to do. And and that's where Jesus agrees with the culture. Where he disagrees is that the culture says freedom means having no masters, having no restrictions, having no boundaries. And Jesus is going to say true freedom is not having no masters. It's having the right master because everybody is mastered by someone or something or a combination. And so we'll give ourselves away to the football team and our passions and our energies. I mean, I know guys that are like, man, I could never study the Bible and memorize anything. But they know where the third string quarterback came from and what his stats were in high school because his, their energy and their passion and effort are, are directed in that way. And so some of us, it's fashion. Some of us are, are Instagram and Twitter and, and Facebook feeds. What, what, what do people think of me? Some of it's our, our success or our sensual pleasure or materialism. The, the greatest uh, place of worship in America today is the mall. It's, it's, the modern mall is designed after the, the, the ancient cathedral. You go into the old ancient cathedral, and what do you see? You see stained glass windows of, of saints as a, a vision of what the good life looks like. Now you go into the mall, you see glass windows, and there are what the good life looks like. We call them mannequins, and, and they're saying, if you have this, then you'll be, you'll be satisfied. And Jesus says, you're going to be mastered by someone or something. You can't find your own meaning. And, and all the other things that we are mastered by, what the Bible calls idolatry, will end up mastering us. Will end up crushing us because they cannot bear, we cannot bear under the weight of our hopes, dreams, and expectations. And so Jesus says freedom is not a, a freedom from no constrictions and no boundaries. Freedom is knowing who you are and what you were created for. And so Jesus is once again, is, his message this week is going to be uh, timeless. Throughout John's gospel, we've seen that Jesus is, is speaking to real people in real places, but he's always going deeper with them. He's always going past the, their initial assumptions of who he is, and he's speaking to who they are as image bearers of God. And so he'll come to uh, uh, Nicodemus at night, and Nic- rather Nicodemus will come to him, and, and he'll say, Nicodemus, you can't be good enough. No one keeps the law perfectly. You must be born again. 
And he'll speak to Nicodemus, but he speaks to all of us in that as well. He'll come to a Samaritan woman at a well who's thirsty, and he'll say, if you're really thirsty, I can satisfy you. And she says, well, well, give me that water. And he says, you're not getting it yet. And he just speaks to the fact that all of us have a spiritual thirst that can only be met in him. But instead, we go to the salt water of the world, and we end up more thirsty and more thirsty. He comes to the disciples and he takes bread and he says, you are, uh, I, I, am, uh, I, I have made you for me and by me and for me and, and I am the one that's going to satisfy your soul. He comes to all of us in darkness and says, I'm the light of the world. Come to me. And once again, he's going to speak to real people in a real place, in real circumstances and yet through the centuries and through the word and by the power of the spirit, he's going to speak to us on what true freedom actually is. So if you have your Bible, go with us once again to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, let me just set up the scene as we're getting here again. Uh, This is still, uh, if you were here two weeks ago, the end of the greatest festival, the most pilgrimage, the most uh, popular festival in Jerusalem, the the Feast of Tabernacles. And so every seven years they would have uh, basically the the feast and then they would have basically a Bible conference uh, after that. And so most scholars think that this is the year that's happening. So it's the next day and Jesus is one of the teachers at the Bible conference. And uh, as Jesus has done, the crowds have started to gather around him and and get bigger and bigger. But again, we're going to see Jesus is never concerned about the crowds. He's he's not trying to make a name for himself. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He has no insecurities. And so he's hoping that they would truly believe in him. At, At the end of or the verse before we, we, what uh, Tiffany read, it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And then in verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. And now John's gospel has said repeatedly, that it's the reason why we call this series Believe, because that is the key word in, in the gospel. But, but there, there are three kinds of believers that, there are, that were represented in this, this temple and are represented uh, by the people we walk around and represented in this room. There's those that know they're not believers. And if that's you, we're, we're glad you're here. We're psyched that you get to come and, and see what, what the worship of God looks like. And we're trusting that, that God in his grace and mercy could open blind eyes and bring dead people to life. And so that there were non-believers there. Then there were believers. There were those that said, Jesus, uh, where else should we go? Like when, G- when they were all leaving and Jesus turned to his disciples, he says, are you going to leave also? And Peter says, well, you have the words of eternal life. So genuine belief, not perfect belief. There, there's still some, faith, some, some doubt. There's still some issues. There's some sins. Of course, that's true of every believer. But, but in the end, at the end of the day, they're all in on Jesus. But then there's this third group of people that have popped up a couple times now in John's gospel. Those that think they're believers, but aren't. Those that are maybe just adding Jesus to the the buffet of their pursuits in their life. Jesus, I'll take you as well. Hopefully it's some fire insurance maybe. Hopefully uh, you're an ends to my means, or you're a, yeah, you're a means to my ends. And uh, whatever the case may be, they, they are disciples or they believe Jesus, but not in a saving way. Not in a way that he had come to rescue and redeem. And it's to these people that he is addressing his 
message about true freedom this morning. But, but what you have to know is, even though once again Jesus is going to say harsh things, he says harsh things because he's full of grace and truth. He loves these people. He loves the crowd that is gathered, and even though they don't really know who he is, his hope and his desire is that they would see who he really is, and that's his hope and desire for us. So let's, let's, pack, let's unpack this here. There, there's three things Jesus is going to show us about freedom. He's going to show us the prerequisite for, for freedom. He's going to show us the uh, means of freedom and then what, what the experience of freedom actually looks like uh, for, for you and for me. So verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, let's just stop there for a moment because uh, maybe these Jews are speaking more than they know because they're saying they are offspring of Abraham. Basically, what they're saying is um, uh, we're spiritually free because of our birthright. My dad was a follower of God and his dad was a follower of God and therefore I must be a follower of God. Therefore, I'm good. And so they were trusting in their heredity, in their family lineage. Because on the one hand, you would say, as children of Abraham, you've actually been enslaved by about everyone in the region. <laughs> you, you spent 400 years in slavery to the Egyptians. And then when you came out of that, when God delivered you out of that, eventually you turned away and the Assyrians came in the 722 and, and took out the northern kingdom and enslaved them. And then the Babylonians came and took them away for 70 years in slavery. And then you got back again. But eventually the Syrians came and, and took you out. And then the Greeks took you out. And right now, as they speak, the Roman government rules the land. The pig-eating Gentile oppressors. They were in slavery. But again, maybe they know more than they know. Maybe they're speaking to a deeper kind of slavery. And in that sense, they're right. In that sense, Jesus is not coming as a political king. And, and we've seen this. Even though many false messiahs were rising up in those days, they'd rise up, they'd get a little gathering, and Rome would destroy them immediately. And Jesus is like, I didn't come to be your earthly king. You have a far deeper problem. They said, how, are, how can you say we're free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, and this is the prerequisite. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He says, your problem isn't political slavery. Your problem is, is slavery to sin. And he says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, now these Jews knew that they were sinners, but like, even last week, you could see that uh, Jesus said, whoever's the, the, the without sin can cast the first stone, and they all had to drop their stones and, and walk away. They knew they were sinners. They just didn't think it was that big of a deal. Uh, mostly anyone that you talk to, anyone that I've ever talked to, in some way, shape, or form, they'll use different language and vocabulary, but they'll admit that they fall short uh, by their own standards in thought, word, and deed. Now, they might label it sin. They might label it a more uh, psychotherapeutic term. Whatever the case may be, we all know that there are just things that we know we should do and that we don't. And Jesus says, everyone who does that is a slave to sin. 
So they didn't think they were slaves to sin. They, they thought, well, we'll just try harder. We'll just do more. In fact, this is the path of every religion that ever called itself a religion in the world. Like, what, what, how do we solve the problem of our brokenness? And they say, try harder, do more, pray more, give more, uh, harder and harder and harder. That's religion. But Jesus says, you got a bigger problem. Religion can't help you. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So the prerequisite to finding freedom, just like the prerequisite to getting your thirst quenched or your hunger fed, is to know that you have the need. So, so the woman had to know that she had a thirst. The people had to know that they had a hunger. People had to know that they were in darkness before they could turn to the light. And Jesus said, if you want true freedom, you have to know that your, your sin enslaves you. It oppresses you. Well, that's that's the prerequisite. What's the means? Let's go back up to verse 31. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the word abide, it's minnow in the, in the Greek. It just means to grasp, to hold on to, to, to continue in, to, to, to live in. So he says, if you abide in what? In my word. Now, now what is that? Again, know the audience, because it'd be easy for pastors and preachers just to be like, so know your Bible. And that's a sermon that I could preach, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. It's part of what Jesus is saying, but these guys knew the Bible, right? These guys had it memorized. These guys were, as far as they could, were trying to apply the Bible to their life. And so he must mean something else than that. I think what Jesus is, is saying is what he's already said. Not only must you know this, of course, we, we don't have any hope of abiding in his word if we don't, but you must know the purpose of it. You must know the meta narrative of it. You must know that this isn't a book, this isn't a basic instructions before leaving earth. This isn't even 66 love letters to you. I don't even know where that comes from, but uh, this is a book that is ultimately telling the story of redemption ultimately focused on Jesus. So there's a way to read this book and there's a way to uh, try to apply this book that, that you, you think God will be in your debt. You, you think God will be happy with you. But, but then Jesus says, if you abide in my word, and his word is the gospel word. His word is, is that you, you can't do it on your own. You're not good enough. That you need a, a perfect life to get into heaven. And good news is I've come to bring that life to you. His word is that if you're thirsty, he's the living water. If you're hungry, he's the bread of life. If you're in darkness, he's the light of the world. That's the truth. It's, it's the gospel. And if you abide in the gospel. Now, we, each week and, and each day, we, we drift a little bit. But Jesus says, there's a path back. Come back to the cross. Hold on to me. Hold on to the good news. Don't try to make up for your sin. Don't try to pay for your sin. Don't try to outgive your sin. Don't, don't try to do anything but to come back and abide in the word of the gospel. He says, if that happens, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's, that's an amazing word of gospel. But, but then what are the results of that? What does freedom actually look like? Drop down to verse 35. It says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, the, 
the audience at this time and this moment did not get it. They, they did not know uh, how to abide in Jesus. So verse 37 says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. You're not abiding in the gospel, but if you abide in the gospel, something amazing happens. He says the slave doesn't remain in the house. So, so to live in the father's house, but to hate the father and hate the father's boundaries is to live like a slave. And in the end, there's no place for that person. But the son, the son loves the father. The son loves what the father is doing. And the son loves the father's instructions. And then Jesus says, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. How? How how does that happen? Again, you have to get out of our cultural idea that that means you can do whatever you want, think whatever you want, find your own meaning. That's not what Jesus is saying. What does freedom look like? We've said freedom looks like living in the purposes by which you were created. So for that, we have to go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, I I asked my daughters this this week. I said, uh, before the fall, at creation... What commands did God give Adam and Eve? And the first thing they said, well, well, you don't eat of that tree. And I said, well, that's true, but there were other commands. And they thought for a second, they're like, yeah, there were. Let's look at these commands. Genesis chapter 1 says this, and God, verse 20, and God blessed them. So God created men and women in his image. That's what 27 said. God blesses them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The first words from God to Adam and Eve were an amazing command. Go enjoy it. With your perfect bodies, enjoy each other and fill the earth. And in this perfect creation, enjoy it, enjoy it, cultivate it. And as you shape it and form it, you're going to image me to the universe because you're my image bearers. So the first command of God, the first, the, the first uh, kind of restriction of God is a glorious restriction. It's an amazing thing. It's what we've longed for. It's our, our hope and our home. It's what Jesus is restoring to us. Adam and Eve walked as children of God in relationship with God. And Jesus is bringing that back. This is what freedom looks like. There was one restrictive element we talked about already. It's in chapter 2, and it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat, it, you sh- eat of it, you shall surely die. So, so there's one boundary there. Now, now, why is that? Because God, from the beginning, wanted us to know and remember who we are and whose we are. Though we image God, we are not God. And if you walk in that boundary and you walk in that, there's tremendous freedom, tremendous joy to enjoy all of it, enjoy each other, enjoy life and and, uh, relationship with God. It's an amazing thing. And he says, so there's one boundary. Uh, When when our girls were young, we didn't have a great, uh, great start with family pets. 
Um, so we start. We thought, you know, well, let's do some. Let's do a gold. Let's do goldfish. And uh, the first goldfish. It's a different story for a different time. But you can ask me about it. Experienced the death by suffocation by underwear. But that's another story. <laughs> the next goldfish. We were going out of town. And uh, we went to our neighbors and said, hey, can you watch our goldfish? And like, yeah, no problem. And so we, we bring the bull and, and I don't even, what was the goldfish's name? Do we have a name for that? Probably we'd even name it. So we, we took it to, what? Max. Max. Okay. So Max, we took the bull and said, just give him two little pinches a, a day. We'll be fine. And so we went on our vacation. About halfway through the vacation, we got the text. Your goldfish died. We're like, oh no, what happened? They're like, we're so sorry. Like, no, it's, it's not a big deal. It's just a goldfish. But what happened? Well, uh, the mother had uh, went to go tend to the, uh, the youngest baby, and, and then the three or four year old, Johnny, Johnny came into the kitchen, saw the goldfish, said, this goldfish needs some freedom. <laughs> and so he takes the goldfish down, reaches into the bowl, and, and takes the goldfish out, starts walking around the room with it. Freedom. Lays the goldfish on the ground, lays down next to the goldfish, takes some Ritz crackers, starts feeding the goldfish Ritz crackers. It was a kind of freedom, but it was a freedom that ended in death. Goldfish were not meant to live out of the water, goldfish thrive in the water. And you and I were not meant to find our own meaning and purpose in the universe. You and I were meant to be in right relationship with our creator and with one another. But since our first parents said, no, I'm going to break the glass of that boundary and go and find my own way, the end result has been death, decay, and destruction ever since. Slavery to sin. So Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. How, How does he do that, though? So the penalty of sin, for the wages of sin is death. The penalty is the righteous wrath of God on sin. And Jesus says, I'll take that. I'll take that for you. I'm the son, the perfect son. And to the cross, he takes that. And, and verses that we say all the time because we want you to know them and memorize them. 2 Corinthians 5.21, on the cross, he became sin who knew no sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God. So he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. The scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, therefore he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Scripture says the good news is that, that slaves become sons and daughters. How do sons and daughters live in the household forever? Because you're a son and a daughter. You're no longer a slave. And so we have our citizenship back. We have our family back because Jesus took our penalty. He paid our price, and he went to the cross for us to do that. Colossians 1 says that uh, he transferred us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, that we might have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the gospel. So Jesus, that's why Jesus is saying, it's not about you being good boys and girls. You're not it's about understanding who I am. So here's my, my summary of this whole paragraph. True freedom comes in 
Understanding, it, it comes in, um, I, I missed it, sorry. True freedom is found, there you go. True freedom is found in glad submission to Christ's rule and reign. So glad submission to Christ's rule and reign. See how different that is than the world's definition of freedom. It's not a straitjacket. It's living in what you were created to live, how you were designed. And so it's glad submission because slaves have become sons and daughters. And we say, your authority in our life, Jesus, what you say is for our good, for our joy, and ultimately for your glory. So yes, we'll take that. We'll do that. You reign and you rule. So, who are you this morning? Which one of the three are you? Again, if, you, if you're not, not a believer, you walked in here, not a believer, uh, even today, the offer is on the table for you, for freedom. And, and maybe you have a sense of, uh, of the slavery that you've been pursuing in the world, and you're hearing for the first time that God loves you, that he died for you, that he offers his life, and offers you to become a son or daughter. In Matthew, or yeah, Matthew chapter 11 says this Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Submission to Christ becomes a light burden, a good burden, the one that you were designed to bear, to bear. So John Newton, the famous writer of Amazing Grace, before his conversion was a slave owner and uh, a slave to sin, and then when he woke up to the gospel, he put it like this. Uh, I think I have it on the screen here. John Newton says, I don't have that one on the screen, and I don't have it in my notes. He basically says, what was once a, an oppressive duty has become a delightful choice in Christ because he empowers us, because he gives us a new spirit. He gives us a new heart when we embrace the gospel. He gives us freedom. So maybe you're not a believer and the offer's on the table today. Maybe you thought you were a believer, but you're realizing that Jesus was just, an ends to, uh, just a means to your ends. And so uh, for now, for the first time, you're like, no, I'm, I want to be all in, in G- on Jesus same offers on the table for you. Just to simply turn from your sins, say, I take everything I know of me, I, I turn from that, and I come to you, Jesus, and I, I want your life living in me. And he offers that to us this morning. But maybe you are a believer, and, and uh, maybe it's just you're, you're, you've struggled. Maybe you've doubted, maybe you've wrestled with sin, and that's going to be the case on this side of eternity. Our identity is in Christ, but sometimes we live out of our false old identity. But the gospel, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, the truth will set you free. And that just simply means come back to the cross. This is why this table exists each week, to remember what Christ has done, that you couldn't have done it, but he's done it in your place, and you can rejoice with him forever. Maybe your prayer is like the father in Matthew chapter 9 where uh, he desperately wanted Jesus to, to heal his son. And he says, Jesus, if you can, you can do this. And Jesus says, if, you, if I can, if you, have, if you have enough faith, if you have faith, I can do it. And his cry should, is, is the cry of every true believer. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. 
Because no one in this room has perfect faith. No one in this room doesn't have moments of, of doubt or, or sin or, or, or struggle. Uh, but, but that prayer, Jesus loves to answer. I believe. Help my unbelief. And again, that's why we gather each week. So with that, one other thing I just want us to know that it's not only for us, but, but as sons and daughters, rescued and redeemed, we're also ambassadors. We're going to step back out into a world that is pursuing a thousand different masters and being enslaved by them all. They need people that gladly submit to Jesus' rule and reign and show them that, that, that life is found in Christ alone. Let's be those kind of people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Jesus, thank you for freedom. Each of us were slaves to sin. But if the Son set us free, we are free indeed. So Lord, I pray that if anyone here is wrestling with that question right now, Lord, that they would pursue that with you through your word and with us together, that we might point them once again to the path of freedom. Lord, for the rest of us, God, I pray that you would renew our hearts and minds to the gospel daily. Teach us what it means to preach the gospel to ourselves. Teach us what it means to abide in the truth so that the truth will set us free. God, we pray these things in the matchless and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.